Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, enjoying St. Matthew today. The uh, author of, of course, the first gospel. And in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, there's a, a short passage which describes the call. Let me read it. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was at table in his house, it's Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this and said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this and said, Those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn the meaning of these words. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, beautiful, beautiful, short, very brief, but very rich in meaning. Uh, Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, in August of twenty two thousand six, um, gave profiles of Jesus, the apostles, and people in the early church, and he gave a profile of Matthew. And I, I'll just share some of what Benedict the Sixteenth um, gave to us. Um, he starts out this way. To tell the truth, it's almost impossible to paint a complete picture of Matthew because the information we have of him is scarce and fragmentary. What we can do, however, is to outline not so much his biography as rather the profile of him that the gospel conveys. So he then goes on to use the material that we do have. He doesn't complain about what we don't have. He knows that what we do have, by the inspiration of God, the inspiration of Scripture, is sufficient. And so he points out that um, he appears in the lists of the twelve chosen by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, Acts 1. So Matthew always appears in the lists of the twelve. His name in Hebrew means gift of God. The first gospel, which goes under his name, presents him uh, in the list of the twelve, labeled very precisely the tax collector. It's important to point that out, because we don't really get the occupations of uh, the other apostles. We got fishermen, very common occupation, and then you have the tax collector, a very unsavory occupation. So Matthew is identified with the man sitting at the tax office, whom Jesus calls to follow him. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And you also have uh, the passages in Mark and Luke, which refer to Matthew as Levi, but he's the man sitting at the tax office. And if you ever get a chance, take a look at uh, the brilliant Baruch painter Caravaggio's uh, wonderful, uh, really it's the conversion of Matthew. It's uh, in the Church of St. Louis of the French, and it's easy to find online. Just look for Caravaggio's uh, St. Matthew. Here's an interesting little detail. In Just before the call of Matthew, Jesus works a miracle at Capernaum. Uh, 
now that's again right the uh, Sea of Galilee there, Lake of Tiberias. And what we know is that Matthew exercised the function of a tax collector at Capernaum, which was exactly located by the sea. And guess what? Jesus was often there as a guest at Peter's house. So you have these simple observations uh, right there in the gospel, uh, the function of tax collector, Capernaum, where Jesus is working a miracle, by the sea, where Jesus was a permanent guest in Peter's house. And there are a few thoughts that Benedict XVI advances as a result of this. The first one is that Jesus welcomes into the group of his close friends a man who, according to the concepts in vogue in Israel at the time, was regarded as a public sinner. Matthew, in fact, not only handled money that was considered impure because it came from people foreign to the people of God, but he was also a collaborator with an alien and despicably greedy authority whose tributes would uh, were often arbitrarily determined. So he's not only um, handling money that was impure, he's collaborating with the Romans. And this is why the Gospels several times link tax collectors and sinners. It's interesting. Those two things are brought, put together a few times. Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and prostitutes. And then you have tax collectors and publicans. Um, you've got Zacchaeus, who's a chief tax collector and rich. In popular opinion at that time, if you're a tax collector, then you're in with the group of extortioners, you're in with the group of the unjust, you're in the group of the adulterers, you're in with the group of the uh, the wickedly rich, and you're in with the group of prostitutes. Um, Jesus doesn't exclude anyone from his friendship. I mean, precisely while he's at table in the home of Matthew, um, people are shocked because he's not just with Matthew, but he's with Matthew's friends. Matthew's hanging out with his people in his own his own brand. He's hanging out with other tax collectors. And this is the occasion for Jesus saying, what are you talking about? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And really, this is the heart of the gospel, God's grace to the sinner. You have the famous words of the Pharisee and the publican. It went to the temple. I think this is in Luke 18. This is the story where you've got uh, the anonymous tax collector uh, beating his breast and trusting in divine mercy. And you've got the Pharisee boasting of his own moral perfection. He's saying that, God, uh, I'm glad I'm not like those sinners, like this tax collector over there. What's the tax collector doing? Well, the text says he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He would just beat his breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus closes that story in Luke 18. I tell you this. This man went down to his house justified. That is the tax collector. Went down to his house justified. Rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's the figure of Matthew. He is the man who's been humbled and who Jesus is now exalting. Those 
this comes up time and again in the Gospels, those who seem to be farthest from holiness can even become a model of God's grace. And they give us a glimpse of the marvelous effects of God's grace in their lives. St. John Chrysostom makes a very important point in this regard. He points out that in, in the account of certain calls, right, Jesus issues a number of calls uh, in the Gospels. The work of those, the occupation of those concerned uh, are only mentioned two times. You've got Peter, Andrew, and James, and John. They're explicitly called fishermen. That's what they do for a living. And then you've got Matthew, who's called the collector of tithes, the tax collector. Chrysostom comments, he says, these are not very important jobs, really. Because there's nothing more than there's nothing more despicable than the tax collector, and there's nothing more common than fishing. And he says Jesus is making the point that he's reaching people of a low social class while they go about their ordinary work. He also uh, has a reflection that's prompted by the gospel narrative that Matthew responds instantly to Jesus's call. He rose and followed him. I mean, the brevity of the sentence is deliberate. It's highlighting Matthew's readiness in responding to the call of Jesus. For him, it meant leaving everything, especially what guaranteed him a reliable source of income. Uh, Even if it was often unfair and dishonorable income, it was still income. Matthew clearly understood that familiarity with Jesus was going to cost him pursuit of activities of which God disapproved. He was called by Jesus to leave sin behind and pursue holiness as he followed Christ. The application to our own situation, I think, is clear. It's really not permissible for the disciple of Jesus to be attached to things that are incompatible with the following of Jesus. If you're receiving riches dishonestly, that's not compatible with being a disciple of Christ. Jesus once said, um, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And that's exactly what we see in Matthew. He rose, he followed him, and you can read in this, I think, a serious detachment from sin. And and on the positive side of it, you see a a conscious attachment to a new, upright life in communion with Christ. Lastly, we should remember the tradition of the ancient church that attributes to Matthew the, the writing of the first gospel. This had already begun with Bishop Papias in the year 130. We have Papias writing this, quote, Matthew sent down Matthew set down the words of the Lord in the Hebrew tongue, and everyone interpreted them as best he could. Uh, That's quoted, actually, Papias is quoted in Eusebius. Eusebius is the historian, and then he adds this piece of information. When Matthew, who had first preached among the Jews, decided also to reach out to other peoples, he wrote down the gospel he preached in his mother tongue. Thus he sought to put in writing for those whom he was leaving what they would be losing 
with his departure. Now, the Gospel of Matthew that we have is in Greek. We don't have any existing copies of the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew or Aramaic. And what Eusebius is arguing for here is that Matthew wrote his Gospel in Hebrew or Aramaic after he had decided to take the Gospel to the Gentile world. But he wanted to make sure that the community of Jews, who were now uh, being baptized into Christ Jesus, he wanted to make sure that they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't lose anything with his departure. So he wrote for them, again, a special gospel in Hebrew or Aramaic, uh, which many scholars believe, you know, exists, but we just don't know where, they, where it is. We haven't found it. So maybe that, uh, in years to come, will be a major discovery. St. Matthew represents for us grace of God in action, a radical grace, a grace that allows him, upon hearing the invitation of Jesus once, follow me, enables him to get up and follow him. And he does that while he's at table with many tax collectors. So he's even among his corrupt friends. And it's even in that social setting that he can walk away, choosing to follow Jesus and detaching himself from all the sin that had been like barnacles on his life. Well, we had a lot to talk about with Matthew today. And I hope we've learned a few things. His gospel is brilliantly uh, constructed from the genealogy on to the end where Jesus promises to be with us always.